For those of you who are here on the Good Friday service, uh, Honor actually led the Good Friday service, whether she realizes it or not. Um, because ben, ben brought this up. He said it was so interesting as we were going through the evening. Sorry, Clyde. Um, as we were going through the evening, Honor continued to cover her ears and you could tell the story was bothering her, just the entire emotion of the evening, because Good Friday should bother us. It should bother us. And I love that Honor was the first to come up and to jump and to dance and to sing and to get excited about the resurrection. I might set myself on fire today. I just want to give you guys that. So we are going to hear from the scriptures. I want to ask that you stand again so we can hear the scriptures. If you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, uh, we're in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together. And they were saying, It is true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Um, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and um, I would plan trips. That was one of my favorite things to do. 
Because I knew that trips are how people are shaped. When you journey with someone, there's a way of shaping that just happens. Um, when I asked many of my former students what, you know, what shaped them in the time that they were within ministry, uh, almost, almost every story talks about, we remember that time we were in a van, which is strange. And some of them are a little life-threatening. That's one of those moments where we're like, yeah, I do remember that. I've been trying to forget it, and my therapist is still helping me to try to forget most of that. But the stories begin with van, and they talk about conversations. They talk about tears or laughter. They talk about the time when, when they opened up their heart and when they saw something new for the first time about who God and his people were. And the trick is, you get lost when you drive people. That's what happens. This is prior to GPS days. Uh, we took detours, but we did something together. And those white vans, for me, became sacred spaces and places. If you've ever been in a white van with a bunch of Christians, or blue van, or whatever color van you may have been, something magical takes place inside of those. And my bet would be most of you who grew up in the church, you've been on some of these trips, and you can point back to say, yeah, those trips really changed me. You see, I believe that God loves road trips. And the scripture is one continuous long road trip. We think about the beginning in Genesis, the road out of Eden, the story of Abraham traveling with God to Canaan, Moses taking a 40-year trip into the promised land, the prophets are always on the move, and Jesus is a homeless preacher always moving around. That is why so many times in the Bible they talk about the landscape, the rocks, the trees, because we have to remember this is before the GPS. Do you remember the days we used to say, pass the big oak and turn right? <laughs> Some of us do, because biblical faith is a faith that travels. It's a, it's a faith that has lost tread on its tires but it continues to move us down the road because our God is a God who is on the move. Which brings us to the story that we heard today, the road to Emmaus. And so for some of us history nerds and people that like little details, Emmaus, most likely, there's a bunch of stories historians talk about in terms of Emmaus may have been here or there or these other places, but most scholars agree that Emmaus is a town most likely northwest of Jerusalem, about seven and a half miles away. So for those of you who are walkers or travelers, that's about a two-hour and some change walk. It's only mentioned one time in the New Testament. And uh, Dave Belecki pointed out the other day as we met to kind of work through this passage, it means warm spring. There's an interesting legend that I found uh, within some research that some people believe that Emmaus was the place where God met and wrestled with Jacob and messed up his hip. God messes people up in Emmaus, and it's a beautiful thing. But as we think about the story of these people, these friends of Jesus, Mr. and Mrs. Clopas, or Cleopas, they are heading to Emmaus, and we don't fully understand why. But what we do understand is that their heads are down and their eyes are in the dirt. Maybe they're going home. Maybe they're trying to get away from the pain and the sorrow of Good Friday. Or maybe it's to dull the pain and sorrow of Good Friday. 
But the trip to Emmaus is, 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 in some ways, it speaks to all of us because every single one of us in this place has been on the road to Emmaus at one point in time. Or maybe we're on the road to Emmaus right now, and we don't know why. Some of us here walked in or have walked in confusion, despair, and hopelessness. And we all have an Emmaus where many of us go when we're experiencing those things. So my question is, where is your Emmaus? Where do you go when the confusion and the despair and the pain and the sorrow and the anger sets in? When do you go? The road to Emmaus is a story about being blinded. And for many of us, we can fill in this sentence... I am blinded by my fill-in-the-blank. When we think about the things that blind us, what happens is normally we put our heads down and we just trudge along. We stay in Good Friday mode, not wanting to pick our heads up and see the bigness of God. Many of us, we are blinded by our fear, our anxiety, our anger, our unforgiveness, our apathy. These are things that blind us, that that prevent us from seeing the bigness of God and His story that He is writing within our lives. But the story doesn't end with these travelers moving to a place of sorrow with no hope. Somebody comes along, a stranger, joins these travelers, and we know, as we heard, it's Jesus. Jesus shows up, but These disciples are so blinded by their sorrow, their fear, their anxiety, the circumstances of what happened, that they fail to see him. My friend, I have friends in my life where just by looking at the way they walk, I know who they are. You pick up the telephone and you hear their voice and you recognize them. But I also know that I've had moments in my life when the pain has been so deep that I can't recognize anything or anyone. And many of us have been in that place before. But Jesus travels with these downcast disciples. And we see the story of his compassion unfold in just the traveling. He's not waiting for them to get their hearts right and everything set in the right place, but he's traveling with them. And when we think about the story, it's amazing because they heard the disciple, they heard two people come back and say, Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. They heard a testimony Jesus is walking with them, yet they still cannot see. Many of us miss it at times when we hear the story of the road to Emmaus. It's actually packed with irony and humor. I love when Jesus says this really dry one-liner, what things? Jesus is walking with these people, and he's like, oh, why are you guys so bummed out? Like, don't you know what happened? What What happened? And I love how he just gives opportunities and moments for these disciples to to tell Jesus, the person who happened to, what actually went on. It's funny. And many of us think, how did these guys not know it's Jesus? But here's the good news to us this morning, because Jesus walks with us today, now. No matter where we are, he's here among us. And Jesus comes to us in our journey, and we travel together. This is scandalous. Gods don't walk with people. Gods stay high, seated somewhere far away, and we have to 
very slowly approach who they are. But the scandal of the Christian God of Jesus is that he comes and walks with us in our sorrow, in our pain. He comes and he stands among us. He bears our sin and our fear and our confusion and he nails it to the cross and he is raised again from the dead and that's where our hope comes. In our fear and confusion and sorrow and apathy, Jesus cozies up beside us as a friend and he walks among us and with us. And so what does it look like for us this morning to look at despair and confusion in the eye and to choose hope and resurrection? This is precisely who we are called to be as people who love and follow Jesus. We are a people who are called to bear witness to a hopeful future. And we walk with others as Jesus walks with us. I don't know what to do all the time with the statement that Jesus says to his disciples when he says, how foolish are you? Dave pointed out, and this brilliant, the brilliant understanding is that's the same kind of phrase Jesus uses with the Pharisees over and over again. So what we can understand in this moment is that Jesus is actually saying, your hearts are hard. Your hearts are hard. And then I loved it. I wish I could somehow audit this course, but Jesus then taught a two-hour seminary course on Scripture. Um, you know, I spent a lot of money on my seminary education, and I'm pretty sure I didn't learn what these two guys did. But it was amazing. Jesus spends this time, and he makes the Scriptures come alive, and it makes the most sense. Scriptures always make the most sense to us when we are on the move, when we are not stagnant and sitting still. Because they're not a book to be loved and cherished and hid away somewhere they are a book to be embodied. It is a book to be embodied, to be lived out. We read what Jesus does and we do that thing. And so Jesus begins to teach these two downcast, disappointed disciples what the scriptures are all about. And in this, he's retelling the story. The story of a God who saw the brokenness of the world, the sin, the destruction that sin has done and has destroyed relationships with himself, with others, with the way that we look at, at each other, with, with our humanity and the way that we look at creation. And he begins to tell the rescue plan of the story of God. And so I love that our community continues to say, we want to be part of that story. We want to enter into that story, whether it's reading the four Gospels through Lent, whether it's jumping in the New Testament, whether it's being part of the upper room, whether it's reading Scripture on our own, but there's something about being in Scripture because Scripture creates a new community, and that community is what we are called to be part of. You ever been to a book club? You're like, well, Scripture doesn't create community. You ever been to a book club? You guys ever read a book and it was so impactful you get hung out with a bunch of other people that read that same book? That's what happens in this moment. That this scripture just becomes alive and all of a sudden they're having these aha moments over and over and over again. He tells the disciples what the scripture is all about and this is it. The scripture is all about Jesus. From beginning to end, it is a story about Jesus. A story about the Father's heart for his people who cannot save themselves. And so he enters into our stuff and he saves us. Not rules but relationship, not law but love. The story of God's fullness, faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. Because Jesus is the point of Scripture. It's God's manifest love and redemption for the sin of the world, both individual, amen, and corporate, amen. 
But even after this amazing seminary class on scriptures, the disciples still don't get it. And Jesus pulls another one of his really fun pranks. And this, we have to read the story of Emmaus as this unfolding prank that just doesn't fully make sense till the very end. But they don't get it. And so Jesus says, oh, that's okay. You know, you guys are here. I'm just going to keep going on. And they're like, well, why don't you say it? Oh, no, no, I'm cool. No, seriously, why don't you say it? Okay, fine. But then what happens, this is a disclaimer. Uh, Jesus is always inviting himself over for dinner. Um, he's always borrowing people's stuff. Think about the guy with the donkey. He's, and he's always eating other people's houses. That's what he does. And the truth is he does invite himself over in the story. But in this, he reverses his role. Instead of being the guest, he becomes the host. Have that ever happened to you? We're thinking about this the other day. Like, imagine if I had Steve come over for dinner. And I'm like, hey, Steve, the steak's in the fridge. Do you mind cooking it? Uh, hey, uh, you know, Trish, do you mind, like, heating up all the vegetables for us? We're just going to hang out. This is kind of weird, right? Has that ever happened to anyone? No. Okay. That's good. Because if it does, you can come over to my house today because we're not doing anything. Um, but it's in the eating around the table that they notice Jesus. And I love the Greek word for this. It's epigenoska. And it's this beautiful word that basically means, aha! Their eyes are opened and they see Jesus for who he is. Maybe there was something in the bread that evening. I'm not sure. But why was it the meal? Why was it the bread? What is so special about that moment? How come it wasn't just in the discussion? How come it wasn't just in the witness that the, these two women came back telling about what happened? How come it wasn't in the amazing scripture lesson that Jesus taught? Because Jesus meets us face to face. Because Jesus sits across tables from us and enters into our story. Because he doesn't want to have just a, a mind faith that's like, oh, I understand theologically what all this means. Because he shakes it, he shakes us, and he jolts us into the reality that God is alive and he calls us into his story. The first thing that the Book of Common Prayer says about Christian community is this. The central act of Christian community is the common meal. Can we do Christian community without food, my friends? I don't think we can. But it's within these aha moments around the table that the resurrection moments make sense within our lives. When is the last time we had an aha moment? where Jesus breaks the bread and all of a sudden our eyes which have been blinded by whatever thing it's been blinded by are opened. And I love that it, as soon as that happened, Jesus disappears. And so on the roads of their mind, they were open to Scripture and the table, their eyes were open and they see him. And a few paragraphs later, what we find out is their hearts are open. So can we love God with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength? The answer is yes. And Jesus does that in these few verses. Our minds are focused on loving God within the scriptures, within what it looks like to have an understanding of who God is. That's important. Our eyes are opened or our souls are open to see the fact that there's something that has just happened in our midst that doesn't fully make sense, but it has changed us from the inside out. And then Jesus breathes the Spirit on these people and their hearts are bursting at the seam. And so you may say, well, where's the strength? Well, the strength comes here. The strength comes the moment after they hear this beautiful story. And what do they do? 
What do they do after they hear it and Jesus leaves? They do what? They run. They run. They get on their horse. They, they put on their Nike running shoes and they take off down that dust path in the middle of night to tell people that Jesus is alive. I love that phrase. Our hearts were burning within us as he was telling us these things. That Jesus is at work even when we're blind to what he's doing, that he's doing something in that. And when we look back, we recognize that our hearts were bursting into flames. One of my favorite people as a good Wesleyan is John Wesley. And if you guys are not familiar with John Wesley's story, he was a pastor for years. And he had this moment at Aldersgate where he went to this little place and it says that my heart felt like it was on fire and was bursting at the seams. And that's where the Methodist movement comes from. He experiencing his heart on fire because for years as a pastor, somewhere in that time, he actually met Jesus. And Jesus radically altered his heart and his mind and his strength. Because when we are confronted with the hope of resurrection, when our hearts are filled with love, our minds are open to his goodness and our eyes see him, we must use our strength to run. We don't hoard it. We share it. We proclaim it with authority that Jesus is Lord. And so when people experience resurrection in big and small ways, and I'm fortunate in the fact that I get to hear so many resurrection stories that are happening within our community all the time. The first, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received in God. Because, my friends, our journeys are never wasted. And they are not to be wasted. They are to be shared with others as an encouragement. And so, this morning, we are going to enter into a time of hearing some resurrection stories with people that are sitting around you. Uh, we've asked a few folks in here that, just stories that Ben and I and others have heard about resurrection that has taken place within our community over the last few weeks and months. And so we're going to listen very carefully to the story of from unforgiveness to freedom, from frustration and anger to compassion and love, from need to blessing, from a closed heart to a soft heart, from hopelessness to overwhelming joy. And here's what I want to ask us to do. If we find ourselves in the story of anger, if we find ourselves in the story of unforgiveness, if we find ourselves in the story of great need, if we find ourselves in the story of apathetic closed heart, if we find ourselves in the story of hopelessness, the people who are sharing are going to pray for you. And these prayers are for you as a community. You need to be reminded of the hope of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Angela. Good morning, everyone. As a believer, we can become entangled in sin when our expectations are dashed. Recently, during a Tuesday night prayer time at Tim and Cindy's, the Lord revealed to me that underneath some of the issues that I've faced after my husband's death was a vengeful spirit, which led to much unforgiveness. I was prompted to confess this to the group and ask for prayer. The group circled me and the healing began. At one point during the prayer, I sensed 
my chest cavity fill with the light, the healing light from Almighty God. Tim led our time and the healing was instant. My heart hasn't raced since then. The physical changes that are quite noticeable are that the timber of my voice has changed. My countenance was brighter. As a matter of fact, Doug didn't even recognize me in gathering two weeks ago. The loop in my head of self-talk has shifted. Also, I now have something to say when the darkness begins to fall. In Christ Jesus, I am fearless. A resurrection has happened as I continue to step out in faith with my Lord Jesus Christ by my side. The adventure of Christian life is beyond words. Mm. For those of you present today, if you would bow your heads, I will lead a prayer to ask the Lord to help you if you, if you are dealing with unforgiveness in any area of your life. Father God, we come before you and we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be a witness in our communities, no matter where we walk, to be faithful witnesses of who Jesus Christ is to each one of us. We thank you, Father God, for this time, and we are eternally grateful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. For the first six months of having custody of our niece, Kinley, we felt a deep resentment and a good amount of anger toward Kinley's mom, Erin. These feelings were stirred up for numerous reasons, and it didn't seem like they would be going away anytime soon. Until just about a month ago, we really started asking the Lord <clears throat> what he would do in this situation. The Holy Spirit spoke clearly, <clears throat> spoke clearly to my wife's heart and said that we should be helping Erin. We should be reaching out to her, loving on her, and trying to get her the help that she needs. Within a week or two of the Spirit nudging at us to reach out, we actually got a call from Erin, asking my wife to help her, if she would help her get into Teen Challenge. That very night, we had her come over. We got a chance to tell her that, to tell her that we're here for her no matter what. We got, a, we got a chance to pray with her and just show her kindness. And within those moments, we both felt our hearts being softened. Mm. This was a change of the heart that neither of us saw coming. To us, at most times, the relationship uh, seemed that it was forever fractured with no chance of redemption. But God had other plans. Only the way that he could do, he made this relationship that was lost found again. He brought it from death to life. He resurrected what was once dead. Mm. And since then, even though she has not yet gone to Teen Challenge and she has stopped trying to see Kinley as much, we're still able to hope and pray for her. The ability is there now where it wasn't before. Mm. We still feel compassion towards her and hope to see a radical transformation in her life. Granted, anger and frustration still sneak back, still sneak back in from time to time, we are now able to just hand it back 
over to the Lord and ask him to help us see her through his eyes as a deeply loved child who is lost. And we know that her life, Kinley's life, and this whole situation that we're a part of is a divine plan, and we are grateful to be participants in it. Jesus, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would resurrect relationships throughout this community. Amen. I started coming to Lansdale House Church about three years ago for after becoming friends with Bill and Beth Carroll. About two and a half years ago, I bought a used van because I needed a vehicle to get to work in to help me take care of my brother and driving him to other appointments and helping other people take them to different places too. But then the van started having problems and I wasn't sure how much longer it would last. I asked House Church to pray for me and my vehicle. JR introduced me to Dennis, who said he would help me look for a van. It was very hard to find a good use, but reliable van. The van was having more problems. It would die than work again for a little bit. Very nervous. Of about driving it and couldn't get all the places I needed to go. People in my house church let me borrow vehicles when I needed and would give me rides. Other friends helped me too. Some people would from Renew also said they would like to provide money towards buying another van. And I got a letter saying, John, God bless to you. Many people have heard and have been praying about you needing for a vehicle. In addition to the prayers, some folks who wish remain anonymous have given some money for you to use towards the purchase of a vehicle. We pray this will be a joyful blessing to you that will make fine, reliable transportation a little easier for you. God sees you, God loves you, May God bless you in your vehicle search with love. And I was very thankful, but also getting frustrated with all my van problems and that we couldn't find a good van to buy. In January, my van finally died and I couldn't drive it anymore. I was very frustrated, but when it died, I was surprised when someone from Renew wanted to give me their old car it wasn't the van I was hoping for, but it was a good car and would help me get to work, help others. Then about a month ago, Dennis and I finally found a nice van where we were able to buy it. I went from having no vehicle to having two vehicles that I could use for work and to help take care of my brother and help others in need rides. Thank God for providing for me, especially for my family. And I thank you for helping me. I'm thankful to have a church family where we love and help one another. 
Um, I want to pray for anyone who may be in need. God, you are good. I pray that you need provide for anyone who has needs. several situations have all come together last Sunday for me and this mini resurrection of my heart. So hopefully you can follow the pieces of the story as I share it. Um, you all, I'm sure, know Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas um, show, and it's always been a favorite of mine. The cartoon does not give so much explanation to how the Grinch underwent his change, but there certainly was a 180 degree difference, a transformation of that old Grinch. Remember how his heart grew three sizes in one day? Well, you could say that last Sunday, my heart grew three sizes. The Spirit caught me off guard and resurrected some pieces of my heart that were dead. Over the past few years, I had walled off certain areas of my life, my heart that I did not welcome Christ into. I did not want him to be king fully of my heart. I decided that I was capable of managing my life as I wanted to, and I wasn't going to allow anybody, even God, to tell me how to run my life. Gratefully, God did not step away from me in this. Though he let me choose how to live, he kept gently extending his hand to me, offering me the option to do life his way. This January, Dave Balecki asked if I wanted to read the New Testament in a month with him. I agreed, and throughout that month, I was so overwhelmed by Jesus that I began to grasp his open hand into living life his way. Trust is hard when you think you have it all figured out, but it, I find that it was much easier to trust when I got to know the character of Jesus, and that is exactly what had happened to me as I filled myself with this scripture. Thank you, Dave, for inviting me into that. Last Sunday, John spoke about how we can love God with our heart, and though I did not know it, that was a process that had started back in January in my life. When we were singing Search Me during communion, I could not hold back the tears. I can't remember the last time that I cried during communion, but this time was different. It was like I was walking into the goodness of the Lord. I was releasing my clenched fist and accepting his open hand. I truly received the grace of mercy of Jesus. But even during that time of communion, I wasn't sure what was happening. It's only now looking back that I can see how all the story came together. So I decided that I ought to get prayer after the service. So after the benediction, I went up to Tim and Cindy and told them that I don't know why I'm up here, I don't have an issue I need prayer for, but something is happening. So as they prayed, it was clear that my grinchy heart was softening and that I was getting to experience loving the Lord with my heart. All along, I was becoming a lover of Jesus, a lover, not a slave, not a servant, a lover, more than a friend and more than a son, a lover. Mm. With nothing being held back, my hand firmly in his, our intimacy can now thrive. Mm. Renew, I'm so grateful to have traded my way for his and to experience the fullness of loving him with my, my full heart. Mm. So I'll pray for us. Um, God, I just lift up um, this group of people and for those that may be holding back just a portion of their heart and not giving you their heart fully, I pray that you bring the situations along their journey to... Um, willingly cause them to want to give their heart fully to you. 
Thank you for continuing to extend that hand of love and grace to me. And God, I know that you'll ex you keep extending that hand to anyone else who desires to have it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let me preface this by saying we're feeling a little overwhelmed, and it was all we could do to leave the house this morning. <laughs> um, but about three years ago, Mary and I wanted to start a family and found out eventually that we were infertile. And anyway, <laughs> a few weeks ago, we brought home Austin Emmanuel Mangum. Love him very much. Um, he's such a blessing. He's healthy. Um, and Renew, thank you. Thank you guys. You guys were huge in this, praying for us and helping pay for the very expensive process that all this was. Um, and God has just been so, so faithful and has blessed us beyond anything I was expecting. Um, we do definitely still have hearts um, for infertile couples, waiting couples, lonely people. Um, but this has definitely been a faith-building experience for us. We pray that it could be that for others, too. Um, so I, I can pray for us. Um, Lord, first of all, thank you. Thank you for answering our prayers and the prayers of so many people in this room who have been praying along with us. Um, thank you for Austin. He's such an amazing gift, healthy baby boy. Um, pray for his birth mom, um, Leah. Um, just ask that you would let us be a light in her world. And we pray for the um, infertile people in this room or that we know and the waiting couples and lonely people um, and we pray that you would bless them like you've blessed us and that you would help us to walk alongside them. In Jesus' name, amen. Gregory of Nicaea once said that we create images, idols, and theologies so that we never have to enter into the wonder of faith. Concepts create idols. Only wonder fully understands. And my friends, today we had a chance to sit and wonder at the resurrection stories, big and small, within this community. And so if you're struggling in one of those places, those prayers were for you, and I want to encourage you. It's going to put them on the spot later. But if that, if something was happening in there, in your heart, I want to encourage you to go chat with whoever those couples were or whoever those people were who were sharing those stories. From unforgiveness to freedom, from frustration and anger to compassion and love, from need to blessing, from a closed heart to a soft heart. 
and from hopelessness to overwhelming joy. I want to close with this thought. Um, when we read the story of Genesis, when the fall takes place, it's, it's amazing how it's written. Um, man sins, and then this, this is said, uh, after the blessings and, or after all the curses of what takes place because of our sin. Uh, Genesis 3, 23-24 says, Therefore the God who sent, who sent God the Lord sent them forth from the garden to till the ground which was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he planted the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way of the tree of life. Exile happens moving to the east. And that's what we see throughout the story of Scripture. We see all these exiles. When sin happens and fall happens, people seem to go east. And what strikes me as we read the story of Emmaus, it begins in exile going west. And then they run back to the east to tell them that new life is possible. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to run back to the east. We're going to stand. I'm going to challenge some of us. If we're kind of, you know, coffee cup worshipers, that's okay. Uh, but I want to just try moving your hands like this open. But I want us to worship Jesus with excitement because of the resurrection this morning to celebrate together these stories of being dead and now being alive. So brothers and sisters, will you stand with me as we worship the risen King this morning? <laughs>